You're listening to WHTT Speaks Out. Each week, Chuck Carlson and members of We Hold These Truths look into events that are, for the most part, ignored or overlooked by the mainstream media. And we analyze these events to get free and periodic updates to this program and our other interesting programs. Be sure to enter your email address in the subscribe to WHTT box on the right side of our website, WHTT.org. And now, ready, set, let the sparks fly. In today's WHTT Speaks Out, we're going to talk about the Baptists once again. And for some prologue, we would recommend our August 14th program about the, the vigil that was conducted out in Fresno in front of the California Southern Baptist Convention's headquarters there. It's quite a interesting story, and Dave Jacobs and his team, joined by Craig Hansen, had a really interesting story to tell about that, and it was another example of challenging the Southern Baptists. And we want to go back a short while ago. The Baptist Press, back in May, published an article entitled, Israel Embassy Protests Draw Baptist Reactions. And this was when the inauguration of the new embassy there. And the opening prayer was conducted by a Southern Baptist preacher by the name of Robert Jeffress of the First Baptist Church of Dallas. And he is decidedly a Christian Zionist. And in our last week's talk, we discussed why evangelical Christians Christian Zionists are so much against peace in the Middle East because of their support for Israel. And we remind people that this Robert Jeffress, who is a spiritual advisor to Donald Trump, back about a year ago was calling for the killing of Kim, the leader of North Korea, and he justified it using the Bible, the 13th chapter of Romans as a a way of saying it's okay to kill somebody we don't like, which of course flies in the face of all Christian belief, since Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And so we see this contradictory type of theology exposed by the actions of people like the Baptists here In this article, they do quote our good friend and brother in Christ, Jamal Bashara, who pastors the First Arabic Church of Phoenix. And Jamal happens to be a Israeli citizen. Now, he's a Palestinian. Of course, if you're an Israeli citizen and you're Palestinian, they refer to you as a Arab to not confuse with the occupied Palestinians in the occupied territories, the West Bank and Gaza. And uh, it really doesn't make much difference whether you're a citizen of Israel or you're in, there is some differences obviously, but having spent a month in Palestine based in Bethlehem last year, I saw both sides and even uh, Israeli Arab Palestinian citizens said that He had gone to school in Bethlehem at the university there, and he really didn't see much difference. And, of course, we've seen since that time the passing of this Israeli nation law 
which basically institutes racism and saying that Israel is a Jewish state only and further demotes the non-Jewish citizens of Israel. So the mask is off and anybody that's looking at this has any objectivity and looks deeply into the matter, they will see that Israel, we're told, is the only democracy in the Middle East, but certainly their Palestinian occupied occupants would differ from that point of view because they have no right to vote. The Palestinian Arabs do have a right to vote, but they are very well uh, marginalized. There's something like 65 laws that discriminate against the Israeli Arab citizens there. So it is decidedly a racist state. So I want to talk about this reaction by the Baptists. The leadership, of course, was pretty much in favor of the the move, and as obvious by this dedication prayer by this Robert Jeffress, and then they quote some other key people there. All right, I'd like to turn this over to Chuck to get some of his thoughts about this particular article and, and what, in fact, is, is going on here with our brothers and sisters in Christ in the Southern Baptist Convention. Chuck? Okay, now we're going to try to focus on biblical issues and questions because we're talking about the Southern Baptist Convention and we're talking about them supporting a secular state of Israel, which they say is godly and they have reasons for saying that. We're going to try to talk about these questions and issues scripturally tonight. We could talk all day about secular arguments and answers about how the people are treated, about all of the abuses that do go on and are published, about the deaths, about the life expectancies, about a hundred things. But we asked uh, several people, we wrote to them and, and sent them this article and asked them if they would care to make uh, scriptural comments about the Southern Baptists' abuse of Scripture, uh, because we're saying that the Southern Baptists have to abuse Scripture. They have to reinterpret it in their own fashion in order to take the Israelis in as blood brothers and claim that they are protected by faith. Russell Moore is the president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. Formerly Richard L. Land was his predecessor there. When we started, we hold these truths. And they were celebrating Israel's 70th anniversary. And they said, the Southern Baptists can celebrate Israel's 70th anniversary, even if they disagree on finer points of international politics or biblical interpretation. So it's okay to disagree on biblical interpretation. And then he goes on to say, one needs not hold to any particular view of prophecy to see the importance of the state of Israel. Uh, that's a political statement, by the way. Moore told BP in written comments, he told the Baptist Press, quote, the Jewish people are the kinsmen of our Lord, according to the flesh. Now, we see this as a biblical falsehood, but Moore goes on to say the current state of Israel is the guardian and protector of the Jewish people after the worst 
genocidal atrocity the world has ever known, the Holocaust. Again, this is a historical argument and a political remark. It is far from scriptural. A Bible scholar we've known for a long time named William Bell wrote in, and, and he welcomed us to use his name and, and quote this, and uh, here's what he had to say to this. Israel's genetic relationship to the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, is hotly contested and debated. Even if it were true, it would have no validity, and the true sons of Abraham and Christ are made through faith. And then he accurately recites a passage in Galatians chapter 3, 26 through 29. So says William Bell. And I'm going to read this short passage he refers to in Galatians 3, 26, 29. And I'm reading from the Greek concordant New Testament, which is written as a literal interpretation of the old Greek language. Galatians 3, 26 reads, You are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ, in whom there is no Jew nor Greek. There is no slave nor free. There is no male nor female. For you are all one in Jesus Christ. Now, if you are Christ, you are Abraham's seed, enjoyers of the allotment according to the promise. So what Paul was quoting Jesus as saying is that there is no such thing as a physical relationship to Jesus Christ. The relationships are entirely spiritual. Craig, you're a Bible scholar and uh, far better than me. How would you interpret this statement by Apostle Paul? Well, Chuck, I think you pretty much just said it there, that uh, genealogies, the New Testament says, do not be in, entangled with uh, endless Jewish myth and genealogies. It's these genealogies that confuse the issue. We've talked before on many times on our podcast, and in saying how a Jew is determined is totally different, the biblical definition of how a Jew is determined. And just like Bell said, that even if there was a direct tie between modern-day Jews to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all those guys, Galatians makes it clear that that doesn't even matter. But even more so, the fact that they can't prove that. There is no, not only is it debatable, just how the methodology of Jewishness being passed along through the maternal lineage now is totally 180 degrees off of the paternal lineage that was in the Bible. So just on face value, there is no way there's direct lineage. So when Moore makes this comment that the Jewish people, he's talking about present-day Jews, that Jewish people are the kinsmen of our Lord according to the flesh. That is totally a falsehood. That cannot be proved. There's no way that can be substantiated. And even if it were, like I said before, Galatians 3 blows that out the water. And then he, then he goes on to say the current state of Israel is the guardian and protector of the Jewish people. Who are these Jewish people? It's definitely a tribal group that believe in Judaism. And it only in a lot of them only in a cultural sense because they're atheists. They don't believe in Judaism. The idea of Judaism being what the ancient Israelites uh, practice, that's a total separation. Those two words are not equal. Israelite worship and Judaism, totally different. Craig, could you give us a little idea of when in Scripture the word Jew started being used as a substitute for Israelite? 
At what point did the writers of the Bible decide that the, the Israelites of 3,000 years ago uh, should be called by the same name as the Jews who live in Palestine today or the ones who live in your neighborhood or my neighborhood? Right. Well, actually, even in the New Testament, the word Jew is, is not there. It's, it begins with an I. I can't even pronounce it like Edoian or whatever. It refers to the people of the land of Judah. So actually referring to an individual as a Jew, I'm, I'm not exactly sure where that came into being. I know it is. It's not in, in, in the text. When you look in the Greek text of the New Testament, it always has the Edoian in there and if you do a click on the word jew that's what comes up so uh, to answer that question chuck i don't have an answer as far as where the word jew came in uh, into vogue as, as describing israelites but it's relatively modern and yes iodian there is no j in the greek alphabet so uh, judea was iodia in greek and so this is why we see that term instead of judean so this is an arbitrary thing that somehow Bible translators started doing at some time in the 19th or 20th centuries, probably, or maybe before. But in any case, it's something we need to be aware of as we read our Bibles. For whenever it uses the term Jew, we need to stop and think, who is being referred to in this case? Is this Abraham? Is this uh, Noah? Who are they referring to as Jews? at a time when there was no Iodea, when the country of Judea had never even been thought of at the time. I want to come back to you, Craig, but I want to read a little bit more about what William Bell said. The Israelis created the pushback when they seized the land and began the ethnic cleansing. Uh, Bell means, uh, of course, the murder of the present-day Palestinians, who were once known as Philistines, uh, in the capital city of what was thought of as Philistia, which was Gaza City. Bell said this, it shows how errors in our theology and doctrine, namely eschatological, fuels the ignorance and actions of the people and the government, end quote. Do others want to uh, comment on the Southern Baptist position that led them to say that the Israelis of today are blood brothers of Jesus. I think more, more or less that's what it says. The Southern Baptist Convention dreamed about a future scenario of an end times world in smoke and fire, with the good guys being whisked away with Jesus in sort of a skywalking event, straight to heaven, which they refer to as the rapture. Southern Baptists do not go so far as to say all Jews will be saved, but it is loosely suggested that Israeli Jews don't have to believe in anything to be blood heirs to Jesus and therefore heirs to the promise. We can talk about that in a minute. William Bell, in his letter, critiqued this phenomenon. He quoted Matthew 24:21, And in this, he was talking about events that apparently took place in the first century in Jerusalem. Uh, everyone should read these for themselves and try to make out uh, what Matthew was talking about, for this is a rather flowery language. But I'll read you a few snippets to give you the flavor of this long passage, Matthew 24, 1 through 34, in which uh, Jesus says, 
or which the disciple Matthew reported. And coming out, Jesus went from the sanctuary. And the sanctuary is the word that was used by the Greeks to indicate the temple of, I think, Solomon that is in Jerusalem and is gone today. And his disciples approached to exhibit to him the building of the sanctuary. And yet he, Jesus, answered and said to them, Are you not observing all these? Verily I am saying to you, under no circumstances may a stone here be left on a stone which has not been demolished. So he's predicting the total destruction of this temple of Solomon. And then this passage is quite long. It goes on through some distance. And Jesus goes on and predicts warring events of the time. For roused shall be nations against nations, kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famine and quakes in places. Yet all these are only the beginning of the pangs. And then he speaks to the disciples and he says, you will be hated by all the nations because of my name. And then many shall be snared and they shall be giving up one another, hating one another. And many false prophets shall be roused and shall be deceiving many. And he goes on in this language of Holocaust and war. And finally, he quotes prophet Daniel, and he says, whenever then you may be perceiving the abomination of the desolation, which is declared through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let him who is reading apprehend, and let those in Judea flee to the mountaintops. And he goes on about the woes and the afflictions and then the great destruction. But I want to read the punchline of this terrible event. This, of course, is the series of events that Southern Baptists point to today as the future return of Christ to earth, the event referred to as the rapture, and the destruction of civilized earth as we know it. And then the disciples ask Jesus when to expect this to happen, and he responds in verse 34, with a passage that is never quoted by the Southern Baptists. He says, Verily I am saying to you, by no means may this generation be passing till all these things should be occurring. Now, the word generation is a translation of English of a Greek word, but it is a very common Greek word that we would translate the same way, geos. And it literally translates G-E-N-E-O, geneo. Genealogy would be another root of this word. And it very literally translates into generation. So it wasn't a mistake of Bible writers that Jesus said that these things would occur during the lifetime of these young men that he was talking to. These are the kind of scriptural alterations that the Southern Baptist Convention makes in order to continue their claims of the holiness of the state of Israel and its people and their blood relationship to Jesus. Uh, Chuck, I'd like to add to that is, is that there is no New Testament scripture where Jesus is talking about an earthly kingdom, where he's talking about a reconstitution of the Davidic kingdom. When Jesus was before Pilate, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my followers would rise up. So he makes it very clear that his kingdom is not of this world. 
So that's one major difference that, again, doesn't get emphasized very much in the Southern Baptist theology. Chuck? Yes. David here. Looking at this Baptist Press article, in this one paragraph, the Silby writing, he's a teacher at one of the colleges, and Silby said the modern state of Israel is also a testimony to the truthfulness of God's word and the faithfulness of God and his promises. He is gathering the Jewish people from the four corners of the earth back to the land of Israel, even as he promised in Isaiah 11:11, Ezekiel 36:37, and in Romans 11, Paul says that God's promises are irrevocable. So when we see the modern state of Israel, we can take comfort that all his promises are certain as well. So conveniently, taking scripture out of context here, and I was looking at this Isaiah 11, 11, and in reading that, you really need to put verse 10 with it. And in that day, there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand against the second time to recover the remnant of his people, which shall be left from Assyria, from Egypt, and from Pathos, and from Cush, and from Elam, from Shinar, and from Hamath, and from the islands of the sea. And in verse 10 there, says the root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. And I think of how Moses, you know, held up the serpent as a sign for the people to look to God for their answers, for their healing in that case, because of the snakes. And then also it shall be to the Gentiles here. So, of course, going back to the beginning of chapter 11 here in Isaiah, the entire chapter is about the reign of Christ and how he came through the lineage of Jesse. And and then in here also I'm seeing that, and his rest shall be glorious. There in verse 10. And I think of Matthew 11:28, where Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye that are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so all Jews, all Gentiles, they're missing the whole point here. There is no Jew, there is no Gentile. It's look to Christ for the answers here, for salvation, for the fulfillment of all the prophecies. And again, as you were saying, the kingdom is not of this world. It's spiritual. It's in our hearts. And it's not anything physical that is happening in the current modern state of Israel. Thanks, David. That's very good. I'd like to jump into something. And in this uh, Baptist Press article, quoting Donald Trump, it says, Israel is a sovereign nation with the Mm -hmm. right, like any other sovereign nation, to determine its own capital. Trump said in a recorded message, according to USA Today, for many years we failed to acknowledge the obvious. Okay, well, that's what Trump said. So the failure to acknowledge the obvious, that statement that Israel, like any sovereign nation, can choose its capital, well, that's not true. That is an illegal statement of error. And where that comes from is under the 1947 UN partition plan to divide Palestine between the Jew and Arab states, Jerusalem was granted a special status and was meant to be placed under international sovereignty and control. And that special status was based on Jerusalem's importance to Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. 
So Jerusalem was never to be a capital of anything. It was to be in, in like an international protected city. And then yeah. in, the, in the 1948 war, the Zionist forces took the western half of the city, and then they declared that part of, of their state. And during the 67 war, Israel captured the other part. And it was under Jordanian rule at that time. And they annexed that into their country at that time. And then in 1980, Israel passed what's called the Jerusalem Law, stating that, quote, Jerusalem, complete and united, is the capital of Israel, end quote, thereby formalizing the annexation of East Jerusalem. So if Israel stands by, well, the United Nations acknowledge that we are a sovereign nation, and yet they totally disallow and they go against all the UN resolutions that say, you know, you're not following what the resolutions dictate. So Israel only follows the United Nations when it's to their perceived advantage. But to have Jerusalem as the capital of Israel is an illegal act, and Trump in any country had no business trying to justify that land grab and saying Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. That's, that's very good. David, who was just on with us, quoted Mr. Sibley, who made these statements about the wonders of Israel and these flowery statements about how democratic it is and how well it treats all of its citizens and gives everybody equal rights and so on. And then he quoted Romans 11 as a source for the Jewish peoples being gathered back into the promised land, which he presumes that they should own. This being, of course, one of those secular arguments that we said we would not talk about, but which we're going to end up talking about because they're all around us. But I'm looking at Romans 11, verse 13, and it seems to say the opposite of what Pastor Sibley had to say. It says, now to you I am saying, to the nations, and this is Paul speaking, to the Gentiles, inasmuch as indeed when I am an apostle to the nations, I am glorifying my dispensation, if somehow I should be provoking those of my flesh to jealousy. So, he actually hopes to convert Israelites to Christianity by making them jealous and should be saving some of them, he says. For if their casting away is the conciliation of the world, what will the taking back be, if not life, from among the dead? He is saying the Israelites are among the dead. Yes. And the followers of Christ are the living. Thus, Romans 11, I need to write a little note to Dr. Sibley and ask him to interpret that verse for me and see what the Southern Baptist Convention interpretation of that verse is, quoting Paul himself. Well, we have our work cut out for us, don't we? We have the largest single denomination in America that voted 84% for Donald Trump in spite of the scandals that are coming out, in spite of all of this, and still supporting. And the biggest reason for their support is Donald Trump, like no one else, is a full-fledged 100% supporter of political Israel. This is exactly the way that, that elections have actually happened in recent years, and it has been this appeal to those who love Israel more than America that has changed our country. I have a comment. Go ahead. This Southern Baptist leader, Dr. Moore, makes several 
statements that I could take issue with, but just picking one, he says, we support, and I guess he's, he's speaking as a leader of Christians. So from the Christian point of view, he says, we support the right of this democratic nation to exist and to flourish. Well, certainly there's no one in this group and uh, no law-abiding, sane citizen of my country or any other country, I think, would disagree with that. We know that it's the sovereign right of any nation to exist. However, I don't think that this nation that he's calling democratic nation is conducting itself according to what democracy is. For example, walling off large segments of your citizenry, such as is being done to the Palestinians, to me does not look at all democratic. And so um, I would also like to say that if this leader, Dr. Moore, is speaking from the point of view of Christians, then I think perhaps if he were to look and see that the one main central teaching of Jesus was exhibited in, for example, the Good Samaritan, the story of the Good Samaritan. Jesus did not care the nationality or the ethnic background of the man in the ditch, nor did he care about the um, nationality or ethnic origin of the man who came and helped him and picked him up and took him to the hospital. So all I'm saying to Dr. Moore is, if indeed this nation that you speak of as Israel is democratic and has a right to exist and flourish, then it seems to me that they would conduct themselves, their, their political affairs and every other part of living, to include every person that lives in that land, regardless whether he be Jew, Christian, Muslim, or what have you. Well said. It is a large problem facing the United States with 40 to 70 million American Christians influenced dramatically by this theology of Christian Zionism, this neo-Christianity, new form of Christianity. And so we need to just keep chipping away, and they do not want to be challenged. So this may seem like a daunting task, but we see some cracks in the armor of the Christian Zionists, and we ask those that do listen to spread the word and to talk about the issues. That's the only thing that can be done. Tom, I'd like to encourage people listening to this to go back to one of our earlier podcasts when we talked about the Israeli emperor has no clothes, when it really opens up the whole apartheid nature of Israel and the laws that are discriminatory against Palestinian citizenry. And also, even when the use of the word of apartheid, that doesn't really cut it, because even in South Africa, there was not an active genocide against the black community. And with Israel, there's an active genocide against the Palestinians, specifically in Gaza, and then just uh, stealing their land with the, the illegal settlements that just keep expanding. So this is much worse than apartheid. And it is not a democracy. And the classic on that is that when this Israeli state law was passed just about a month or so ago, the Israeli Arabs that were there were thrown out of the Knesset. So it's like having a a black person having a right to vote, but they can't vote whether slavery is illegal or not back in the 1800s. So, yes, they have some rights, but not equal rights. 
And the articles that we published really bring that out. So I'd like to have that attached uh, to what we're saying tonight, because it's all part of the picture. It's using the Bible to justify a political, apartheid, secular, racist regime. Thank you. Thank you, Greg. All right, Dave, would you like to close us in a prayer? Yes, thank you. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your opening our eyes and opening our hearts and, and giving, us, giving us hunger to know the truth of who you are to us and this world. And that we are a voice, a watchman standing on the wall, calling out for others to change their ways and come to you seeking truth and turning away from the politics and turn to rest in you. Father, that's the key, to rest in you, who you are, who your Holy Spirit is, and to give up our ways of this world and to seek you with all of our hearts. We give you thanks for this uh, fellowship tonight and the word that you have brought forth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you like this program, please let your friends know about it and our other thought-provoking podcast. And be sure to visit our website, whtt.org, for a wealth of information on Christian Zionism and other critical issues that we face. Also at whtt.org, you can watch for free our award-winning documentary film, Christian Zionism, The Tragedy and the Turning, Part 1. Join us in our efforts to wake the town and tell the people. Start small, think big, and press on towards the straight gate.